Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Hot Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard show Suey winner and a former <laughs> heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Three, two, one, yo! What's going on, Arkansas Razorback fans, SEC fans everywhere? Welcome to the Friday show of the Hawk Talk Podcast, episode number 115, coming at ya. Kyle Sutherland alongside me today. We're, we're, uh, we've got, we've got a, a pretty decent show lined up, I think, for you. Not a ton of things to talk about, but we know camp started this week. We're going to talk about that. we got some recruiting news, Razorback football recruiting news. Obviously, we're going to touch up on the whole Isaiah Joe situation for a little bit. And then uh, how about these new Nike shoes? We're going, to, we're going to cover all that. And then on the next segment, former Channel 5 sports director here in Northwest Arkansas, now current member of Mascot Media, Bobby Swafford, going to be interviewed by none other than Mr. Porter, a.k.a. Peck Hayes. That'll be coming up on the on the next portion of the show. So thank you guys so much for downloading and listening. Remember to rate and review the podcast. That goes a long ways. Uh, we we really do appreciate that. If, if you could do it, if you haven't if if you haven't done it yet, please uh, please go do that. Rate and review the show. Okay, uh, Kyle, how are you doing? First off, I just want to start off smooth here. How are you doing? How was your how was your week so far? Well, compared with what we've gone through these last five months or so, we've got a pretty cool August, and football is right on the horizon, uh, even though we've got Murderer's Row coming up for this season. Uh, yeah. Still, man, got to count your blessings, which we'll get into said Murderer's Row. But, hey, pretty cool August. I think it's actually record lows for the state of Arkansas that we've been having. For I the love the first thing you and I talk about is always the weather, and you could tell, like, I think yeah. you and I both just absolutely hate yeah. hot sunny crappy weather well i shouldn't say sunny weather but just like hot humid typical arkansas weather it's just the summer is just terrible and and to think that you and i once played football in this state and went through two-day camps and did things like that in this kind of weather that's just wild this time 20 years ago i was strapping on the pads for fayetteville and hating every minute of it now here i am two decades later missing every moment of that but i uh for anybody that works outside in this heat, man, thoughts and prayers are with you. It's ridiculous out there. But like Kyle said, it's actually been – it's not been as bad this year. It really hasn't. We've had, yeah, record lows. I think you're right about that. So we'll start with the Discord questions, even though, again, 
Kyle and I, I think we've come to the agreement. We've got some day drinkers in our Discord. Uh, <laughs> Austin BF uh, wants to know, he says, um, give give y'all opinion on the no one loses the year thing the NCAA has done and how that will impact the roster uh, in scholarships for next year. Kyle, I'll let you, I'll let you take that one first. On this one, you your first thing that comes to mind is it's going to really mess up recruiting, which it, it probably definitely will have a pretty big effect on that. And also, too, managing your roster. But my concern, not necessarily for so much for the Power Fives, especially the SEC schools, is how are they going to dish out more money for scholarships of, of schools that are already cutting funding, uh, whether that be Olympic sports or, uh, in the case of the MAC. The being the first, I think they were the first FBS school to cancel their fall season. So basically, let's say that you have 20 seniors that are coming back that are going to gain an extra year of eligibility, then you and you have the regular 85 limit on your roster for the scholarships, then you'll have 105, and then you can have your walk ons and stuff like that. But my biggest concern is how in the world are all these schools, the amount that have cut already their fall season, that are going to lose all this money. Like, for instance, Arkansas State is going to play, I think it's Kansas State, instead of Michigan like they were originally going to. And to go to Michigan, they were going to make $1.8 million. Wow. Whereas they're just going to make over 500000 playing Kansas State. So you're not completely at a loss, but you're still losing money. So that's just an example of many right there that I wonder how in the world it's going to be, going to be able to happen. Yeah. There's a lot of questions. That, that, that really is a good question, Austin. I do appreciate it. Um, maybe put down the Heineken uh, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. But <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the question. I really don't know how to answer because I, I, who knows how this goes down. I mean, it's a good thing. The NCAA absolutely should have done it. It's the right thing to do, uh, giving these players the opportunity to come back for another year to not lose this year's eligibility. Um, I don't, I just, I don't know yet. It could be disastrous or maybe they'll all just, I don't know. Maybe the, the, the NCAA has been talking with the ADs and the, and the coaches and trying to work out a, a matter of like a plan or something like, okay, here you go. You know, and, and then maybe, you know, like you said, this is going to have an effect on their budget. I, I don't really know how to answer it. Cause I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Jay Hawes junior 17 says, uh, <laughs> Few days into fall camp, what do you think has to improve the most to find a Kyle and I still I don't know what this says this word is modicum of success this season. I I think Ohio has been messing with Haas's mind. He's been up there for a couple weeks now working. (laughs) A few days into fall camp, what has to improve? And like I said before we started recording, I don't know, have more than 30% of the offense installed, which it sounds like, according to uh, Bryles, the offense coordinator, they definitely have more than that. I think he I think he said like 70% of the offense installed or something to, to that degree. We know why the media asked these guys that question because of the negative impact that had from Chad Morris when Chad was talking about 30% of the offense being installed. So now that's going to be the question Every week from here on out, thanks a lot, Chad Moore. Something else you handed down that's just so lovely. Uh, we're going to have this asked probably from here on out, and the media is going to continue to ask uh, Bryles this question. But, um, yeah, I think that's a place to start. They're moving along, and we'll get into the uh, – that is actually a topic of, dis- of discussion we're going to have here in a little bit. 
about what all has happened so far in this fall camp. It sounds like they're moving some bodies around on the line of scrimmage. You got guys, uh, they moved Blaine Toll to tight end and moved him back to defensive end, so maybe maybe that's the right move. I think it is. That's his natural move or position, rather. Excuse me. Um, I, I don't know, man. Uh, I heard, uh, who was it, Tom Murphy on uh, – with with uh, Ty Richardson on the radio, he'd said that they look like they look like SEC ball players again. Like they're starting, they're getting cut. Like they look molded for the SEC, where that was kind of absent the last couple of years. So obviously, you know uh, that's a that's a big factor. Looking the part is one thing. Obviously, playing the part is another. But that's that's a step in the right direction. Uh, Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, that's you. Pretty much took a lot of it. What I was going to say, but and you have to remember too that they're in shirt and shorts right now. Mm. Anybody can look good in shirt and shorts. I saw a video circulating yesterday of of Dorian Gerald just making people look like he's like just the studliest. What, what's the guy that played for years? Uh, can't remember his name. It's it's slipping my mind. That played for North Carolina and then played for the Packers and the uh, and the Panthers for years. But oh, Julius you know, Peppers. He, Julius Peppers, making him look like Julius Peppers yeah. out there. But you got to remember, Stromberg looked really good in those drills with shirt, shorts, and helmets. But you got to understand, like, we're they're just they're not going full speed right now. Right. Even when they are going full speed in camp, how many times last year did we say see that so and so had three interceptions in one practice? Blah blah blah. Like, it, it's really hard to tell, especially when the media they they say that the media gets twenty minutes of practice per yeah. day but most of that time 15 minutes of 15. it is the warm-ups yeah. so it's it's just really tough to tell but one thing i really like ty you mentioned about how the offense got installed seven up to about 70 75 percent i also like how sam Pittman off the bat has said and kendall bryles mentioned that it's felipe frank's job to lose a quarterback the last two years chad morris waited until monday press conference before game one to announce that i think we probably knew in 2000, 2018 that it was going to be Cole Kelly, at least for, for week one. And last year it was obviously pretty obvious that it was going to be Ben Hicks because Ben Hicks did the system. He came in in January as opposed to Nick Starkle coming in that August. So you kind of had that feeling. But I like how that now every single conference, every single day that we listen to the media talk to the coaches, it's not, okay, so who's looking good at quarterback, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's Felipe Francis to lose, which we pretty much knew as he was coming in. It does sound like, too uh, – KJ throwing the ball somewhat better uh, has improved just just from what I'm reading online from different members of the media and again kind of what Tom Murphy was talking about still has some accuracy issues you know we talked about that a lot here on the Hog Talk over the course of the last nine months um, still has a lot of growing to do there and then they were talking about some of the other quarterbacks their ability outside of the pocket just being so dangerous and that being a a, a unique thing to have on campus and to have it in an abundance like they do. It seems like everyone that that's playing the quarterback position has some ability and some capability outside of the pocket. So uh, they kind of talked about that a little bit, but yeah, I, I, there's a lot. It's a, you know, I'm having this conversation as a matter of fact, before we started recording with, with someone in my, in my uh, Facebook DMs asking me about, you know, upsets and this and that, and where, where I think they're at. And it's like, man, there's still a long ways to go. And like Kyle said, it's it's shirts and shorts and helmet. That's all they're doing right now. Like there's we don't we don't have any other information than um, 
than what the media, who's actually been there, unfortunately we're not at that point yet, hog talk, <laughs> we're not able to go to the practices just yet, even if they're only getting 15 or 20 minutes, hell, we'd take, we'd take 10 minutes. But uh, there's still a long, long ways to go. We've got a long ways to go through fall camp. Um, Jay Hawes also wants to know, any idea on how this may impact basketball? I know we're a couple of months out, but it's got to be on their minds. I'm assuming he's talking about COVID. Um, uh, we got a, we, uh, I'll tell you a pretty good implication of that. And he doesn't know anything either, but we'll get into Isaiah Joe here in a bit. And that <laughs> there's one of your answers right there. You know, I mean, obviously there's, uh, there's one player that is concerned about the future of the college basketball season for 21 and 20 yep. or for 20 and 21. So, so that, that can tell you pretty much right there. Yeah. There's already, there's already been an impact. Uh, because of COVID, and he said it. He said it in his release too. I mean, it was in that you know because of all the uncertainty of what's going on. So we'll t- we'll touch on Isaiah Joe too here in a little bit. Um, Zach Street wants to know: Are there are there any players on the football team you guys could see getting drafted in the first round? So uh, you know he didn't put a date, he didn't put a timestamp on it. Just anybody on this roster, Kyle, who is who's most likely to get drafted on the first round? One or two people? I've got two people in mind right off the bat. I've always said that Rakeem Boyd is first-round talent. You go back to the last chance you days from season three, all that coaching staff said that he was the best player on their team. For sure, they had three running backs that came in, him, Jamal Scott, and Kingston Davis. And all three were very well. I know Kingston Davis came in from Michigan. I can't remember where Jamal came in from. But all of them power five backs, and they said by far and away Rakeem was the best. And I still think that he is that caliber of talent. I just don't know with his injury history, even if he goes off this year, if he'll be in the first round. Who knows? He could have maybe end up being the best back in the SEC and then go kill it at the combine. That that remains to be seen. But overall, I would say besides him, um, for potential, definitely Traylon Burks. I think that is clear from just even when he was coming out of high school. And I think Stromberg could get there. You see the amount of guys that Sam Pittman has developed. What is it, like six out of the last eight drafts or something like that? He's had like a first through third rounder. I I know I'm probably a little off on that, but he had two first rounders from Georgia. I I think he's the best. I've said this many times. I know we all have that he's probably the best developer of offensive linemen in the entire country. Stromberg has a ceiling that is just extremely high. So I would say beside Rakeem for me, it's Stromberg and Traylon Burks. Yeah, I, you you took two away from me. I, Rakeem Boyd wasn't he? He was graded out what second or third round? Wasn't that what what he said on Twitter a little while back? I believe, yeah, that or third or fourth, somewhere between the second and fourth. Yeah, I I don't I don't know that I would put him. Is he is he a that is he that caliber of running back? He very well could be. I mean, anybody well, who I, averages. Well, you know me. I've said I I think that he already at this point, even though he hasn't maybe proven that with his stats. I think he's the second-best running back to ever – I think at, even now that he's the second-best running back to ever come through the school. I think we'll that, that that argument will be a lot more valid with a lot of people mm-hmm. at the end of the season. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I do think he is. Like, I think Rakeem Boyd is the complete package. I, he is a great – we just have not seen the very best of him yet, and I think he is going to explode this year. Well, anybody, anybody who can average right around, what, 5.8, 6 yards a carry – yeah. In yeah, uh, not yards. only not only in non P five, but in P five and, and, and SEC games in those matchups. I mean the guy's averaging just south of I think it's right at six yards of carry in a busted thirty percent installed next to 
hardly any real proven talent around him to put up those kind of numbers is it, it's absurd. I don't know that he would ever get drafted in the first round simply because of the fact that running backs have completely dropped in value. But the, like go back 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I think you could absolutely make it like you just actually you just did. You laid out a pretty good argument for him to be a first round draft pick. But in this day and age, they're just the value on running backs have, have come down so much. But I, I would I would probably put I definitely think Burks is first round talent. He's just a freak of nature. I had a whole podcast. In fact, that was the last Pig Trail podcast I, I've done was the freak of nature, the FON. It was about uh, about Burks just being a freak. Someone who's that size with that, with, with that high of a ceiling who moves like that. This guy runs punt return at 6'3", six six 230 pounds, moves like a gazelle. There's no doubt. And he catches the ball well. He's got a really good catch radius too. Runs pretty clean routes for a freshman. Uh, didn't score last year, and I know that's something that's you know I'm sure he wants to make up for this year, assuming we have a season. No doubt, in my mind he is a he is a uh, he's a caliber first round draft pick, and I could see him going in the first. Unfortunately, Arkansas, you know, you look at their their history with, of receivers, it's not great. So it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't get drafted in the first round. Uh, but I do think he's that caliber player. And then Ricky Stromberg, I'm right there with you. Ricky Stromberg is. Uh, I mean, he came in with a makeshift offensive line. I mean, you know, they're just putting guys, they're just putting bodies in, in places up front on the line of scrimmage. And he shined with, with, it always helps when you got four guys around you, or at least the guy to your left and the guy to your right that are pretty good. Let's be honest, that offensive line the last couple of years, it's just been a makeshift. And he, he excelled. He looked really good and he got better as the season went on. Graded out really high. Caught a lot of attention. I was really surprised. I think Phil Still, I believe it was Phil Still who left him out of his four all all uh, SEC uh, options. You know, your all team, all conference. You know, he he went to four this year. Phil Still didn't. He left him off. I was shocked by that. I'm still shocked by that. What the hell are you thinking, Phil Still? This kid's incredible. Everyone else is in love with what Ricky Stromberg can do on the field and what he did as a true freshman. So I I think he's absolutely first round. I think of of everyone on this roster because he's an offensive lineman because it's Sam Pittman because of who the who they have around you know coaching these guys now with Pittman and, and this in this new offensive line coach and uh, you throw Bryles in there I think he's going to have an opportunity to shine I think he's the most likely to get drafted in the first round of of the names that we just mentioned here um, and then uh, Tripp didn't have one for us this week Kyle I'm uh, I'm a little Oh no, he does. Well, okay. he actually, yeah, he he updated. Okay, never mind. I got one. He says for all Razorback sports. Oh boy, uh, what team? What teams do you think would would be good opponents for games in Little Rock? Hmm. Ugh. Well, I'll peek out of the rabbit hole, and I will say, for, and I, this is all I'm going to say. Don't want to go too deep into it. I think you know where I'm going. I do think, from a fan perspective, that the A State one would be pretty fun. Uh, that's about all I'm going to say about that. But man, that's a good. I, I mean, obviously, the LSU game was always. I would love to see that come back if if we were going to continue to play there. Now if you got Missouri every other year, but ooh, I like to play an Ole Miss in Little Rock. I went to a lot of those games. Um, I mean, that was probably the closest we've. Uh, isn't that the closest we've been in the last two years to an SEC win? I'm pretty sure. Well, that in so. Kentucky, yeah, at I Kentucky, say, I would maybe, say. Yeah. Or, I think so. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm partial to LSU because 
I think that was was that my first game in Little Rock? That couldn't have been because I went I went in the early '90s. I can't remember, but some of the best memories are always against LSU. Their fans are. I mean, you know, some they're they're good people, like any fan base. Like most of them, the majority of them are pretty good people, <clears throat> even if they smell like corn dogs. Um, they they're 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 lively, that's for sure. And especially when you come across one that speaks Cajun, it's like straight up, like you you think you're in like another world, uh, or, or maybe they're an alien from a from another planet. Uh, when they start speaking that Cajun, and they go really really fast, and they're talking, and and like you can't make out anything that they're saying. Uh, it's unique. LSU is unique, but it's always a good game. It seems like Little Rock and LSU. There's just so many great memories. I would, I would argue, getting that game back in, in Little Rock would be. I, I, it'd be a good opponent for sure. Now, if you want to go like non-traditional, non-SEC, uh, I, you know, I don't know because I'm, I believe, I, and I've said this before, but I know we've got some new viewers since the last time I said this. I'm probably going to trigger a few people. I'm going to get some hate mail. I'm sure. I think all games should be in Fayetteville. If I'm being completely yeah. honest, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe someone like Oklahoma would be fun to watch down there, but I'd be so embarrassed of of that stadium of of someone of that caliber going to Little Rock. And I, the fans are great. People in South Arkansas and Central Arkansas are great. They are the most diehard fans of any fan base in that part of the in that part of the state for sure. They're diehard. They will travel to Fayetteville to watch them play. No doubt about it. I'm just so embarrassed by that damn stadium. Um, but. Yeah, I think I think uh, I'm, I'm with I'm with Kyle. I like LSU down there, and then if you're going to go non-conference opponent, I would say someone like Oklahoma. It'd be cool to catch Texas down there, you know, an old traditional rivalry in, in an old place like that. That'd be pretty fun. So, uh, yeah, I think back. I want to say back in like the maybe the Hatfield, but for sure the Holtz days. I think we did play Texas a couple of times. We had Ron Calcagni on for a bonus pod about a month, month and a half ago. And I want to say maybe his junior and senior year in the late seventies, uh, they they played there. Uh, so it has, yeah, they've had Texas a couple of times in War Memorial. Yeah, it. They there's so much there's so much that has to happen at that stadium. Like the renovation there, it's it's legit. Like it, that's a job cut out for somebody right there. I don't know. You know, and that that stadium actually belongs. I, I think it belongs to the city of Little Rock. So, you know, they've got to take money out of the state in order to do any renovations and stuff like that. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, and, and I do think within the next, well, I think within the next five years, I think you're not going to have any more games down there. It's sad to say that, but at the same time, like I do believe that games should be played on campus in Fayetteville. So yeah, like, like I said, I, from a fan perspective, it is devastating because the, the times of my life, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. So the times of my life at this point at in 30 and a half years are little rock tailgates and high school playing high school football so it is it's sad to think about the 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 tailgating and just the experience being taken away but i I do agree with you from a financial standpoint from the way that the suspending the millions of dollars that they have renovating dw it just makes sense for everything to be played up there from here on yeah and you've, you've had you've had former coaches Come out and say that's like preparing for a road game in terms of yeah you know you gotta you gotta haul your equipment bus down there and get your players down there get them in a hotel room and all that um, anything that puts you at a disadvantage to me it's like you just gotta do away with it um, okay 
Let's move on to the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Fall camp takeaways so far. Keep in mind, this is just what we've read and you know what different members of the media are saying around the state. Uh, from what I understand, Trey Knox, Jalen Catalan, and Shibwez Mwana have been either limited to zero participants this week so far during the first week of camp. Couldn't tell you what's going on there. There's there's all sorts of rumors and speculation around Catalan. We know he's had a little bit of a of a history with injuries. Um, as far as Knox, he I think last year, if I remember right, he missed out on on several uh, days of camp. Uh, has a little bit of a history of of injuries, and uh, then with Shabwez and Juana, who we know came in with Cunningham as one of the two JUCO offensive linemen for a year ago, uh, he was kind of limited last year, anyways. So I, I, you know, I don't know how big that is. I mean, you are talking about an offensive tackle there or an offensive lineman. You want every every man on deck up front on the line of scrimmage, but he has been, uh, from what I understand, has been limited to zero particip- participant of the camp so far. Uh, also, Ricky Stromberg, you guys, we just talked about him, st- stood out at guard last year. They've got him working at center. My question about this, Kyle, is is this a threat from the coaching staff to Ty Clary, or is this a permanent move? I think it is it is to spark some competition. Uh, the one thing that I think that Dustin Fry, the previous offensive line coach, I mean, the, the two previous offensive line coaches we've had, Dustin Fry, and Kurt Anderson, probably the two that we've two worst we've ever had in program history. But I did like the fact that Dustin Fry brought in uh, Inwana and Cunningham to, as he said, piss off his current offensive tackles. Because I think that both of those guys are quality, especially Cunningham. We've seen that, and Wana didn't play last year. Yeah. Uh, but it. But this is a good thing I think that, that Brad Davis and Sam Pittman are doing because last year we didn't necessarily. Ty Clary wasn't bad as a blocker. A lot of those those runs that Rakeem busted off were off of Ty Clary and or Stromberg's block. So mm-hmm. I don't question him as a blocker, but the snaps, whew, jeez, man, we've. I'm sure that they'll get that corrected. That's something that that seems like it'd be pretty easy to correct. But I'm glad that they do have some competition there. I would imagine that Luke Jones is probably in that mix too. It looks like Luke Jones is going to be at one of the guard spots, whether he starts or he's on the two deep. But I, I love it uh, creating some competition there because. Everything when you're when you're coming off four wins in two years, everything's open pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean you gotta you've gotta wipe the slate clean. I mean it's you're starting over it, and that's what they mean when they say rebuild, right? It's not just a fancy yeah. word to throw around like that. Is legitimate the case has been the case at Arkansas now for three years. Now you got a whole new staff, whole new head coach, and everything, and some guys coming in and pushing pushing these uh, former starters out of the way, so to speak. I I hope they find a spot for Clary if this is a permanent move. I would like to see him at one of the guard positions, but yeah, his it's one thing. And look, I I played center; that was my position. It's one thing to have one bad snap, maybe every other four or five games. You know, you're a lot is asked of a center. He's the anchor of that offensive line. He's usually got to be the leader. Uh, he's got to be the guy the guy to step up. And I think Clary has for the most part. It's just been his snapping that perfection. It's got to be. It's got to be perfect. Your snap's got to be damn near perfect. You got to get it to where that quarterback doesn't have to go out of his way. It, it can't mess up the way he receives the ball and p- goes into his rotation to let go of the ball or to to actually attempt to throw the ball. You've got to get that snap right where it's supposed to be. And Clary has struggled at that. I could understand one mistake every few games. This guy was making about two, one to two mistakes every game, and it's just too many. 
And and something else we got to think about on top of the struggles that Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle and the two thousand other quarterbacks that we played last year, when they're concerned about not getting blocks or receivers not getting open, but when you have a snap comeback so slow that it takes a half a second off the play. That's another really big thing that can mess up. And I think on top of all the confusion, all the negative things that you can say about the offense last year, that whether whether the snap was right to him or not, again, when it's a half second late, that's going to really throw off your production. It does. It, throw, it throws you out of your, your, your rhythm, and that's a problem. I can remember catching a lot of heat. I'm going to go back in time for you just a second. But in 19 – Let's see, was it 1999, my sophomore year at Fayetteville? I played with the sophomore team, and we were on the road against Springdale. And I think it was like the first year they had the natural turf, or the the not the uh, the turf, not natural turf, the turf. And I can remember getting that black stuff in my socks. Like we'd never seen anything like this. I mean, you're talking about late 90s, early 2000s, right? And our quarterback audible to shotgun, and. I, I hiked the ball. I bet I hiked the ball probably a good five, probably a legit five feet uh, over his head. And it doesn't help that our quarterback was pretty short. You know, he's like five nine. He's a pretty short, dude. And I'm I'm six three, six two, and I hiked that ball a good five feet over his head, and I just wasn't paying attention. That one play, and of course that's different. That was an outright mistake. I don't know that he caused a lot of that, but it did. It taught me a, a valuable lesson that I got to pay attention. I got to know where I'm hiking that ball, and I got to make sure it's getting directly to the quarterback's hands. He shouldn't have to adjust his body before the play starts, before they really, before the receivers start running the route, and before the running back starts off into doing whatever it is he's about to do. And that one mistake that I made got me pulled from the game. I didn't play another snap. But at the center position, we had we had some depth, and you're talking about tenth grade football. I get that. That's a different world. But you didn't have anybody behind Ricky Stromberg, or excuse me, behind uh, uh, Ty Clary. They didn't really have anybody to play center. They had to kind of go with the. They had to go with the punches or roll with the punches. They had to just allow him to make these mistakes, and it happened so often. And I do think this is a good move. I think if Ricky Stromberg, I don't know if he played center in high school or not. I have no idea. But if that's the if that's the direction they want to go, I'm all for it. And I I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a. I think it's a threat, and I think it might be a permanent thing. Uh, and then if that is the case, then move him, move Clary to guard, because I, I agree with you 110%. He's a, he's a really damn good blocker. He's just not a very good shotgun snapper. Uh, Monteric Brown, Kyle, this guy, he's showing out. Uh, it's, it's, again, with the limited media uh, coverage of, of this camp so far, again, they only get like 15, 20 minutes. But uh, he's rumored to, to have multiple picks so far this week. In fact, he had, he had at least two picks. I think it was Wednesday that was was being reported. Maybe, yeah, I think it was Wednesday. Uh, he's having a pretty good week, Monteric Brown. It's definitely needed. There's no doubt about that. They need someone in the secondary to stick to to, to stand out. At paper, I'm really expecting a lot of this group because on paper they are the probably the most touted group you'd look at all the four stars Devin Bush Monteric Brown I know Joe Fouché was a three-star pretty much across the board but he was highly highly sought after from LSU other yes. big programs at Jalen Cattle I know there's maybe some injury rumors right there not really sure what's going on with him but all these guys that ha- coming into the program had a lot of high expectations and it's it's time to live up to them so that is a group that along with the defensive line now linebackers 
still remains to be seen. A lot of it really outside of bumper pool, not necessarily inexperienced, but not really any depth uh, and not a whole lot of great production for, overall for that group. So yeah. for the defensive backs, I'm really expecting a lot. Greg Brooks, another one, I, I think did a pretty good job, certainly had his fair share of learning experiences being a starter from game one, uh, but another guy with a ton of potential and, and I'm really looking forward to see what kind of improvement these guys make. Yeah, there's there's legitimate depth back there. I think that is, and I agree. I think that's probably the most on, on defense. That's a place where you feel the most confident that they have they have the bodies and the talent to make a difference this year, to make that leap that we've been waiting to see from somewhere on the defense, somewhere for the love of God. And I think it's going to happen this year. In the secondary, I think they're going to be – I'm not saying they're going to be top five, you know, passing yards allowed per game. You know, they're going to they're going to limit to, minor, to under 200 yards a game through the air or anything like that. But I, I think they're going, to take, they're going to take a pretty significant leap, I think, into the right direction moving forward. And Devin Bush, a guy we've talked about, you know, he was in the transfer portal there for a little while and they got him to come back. That's big time. I mean, he's a big-time four-star. You know, Joseph Fouché, towards the end of his recruiting – he started getting interest from everybody. I think that was a steal. So I, I, you know, it's good to hear somebody is standing out. Monteric Brown, uh, you know, with him, with him showing out, that's good. I don't know how many picks he's had this week, but it's it's been uh, talked about that he's had several. Uh, moving on, moving on. Razorback football recruiting update: six foot five, three hundred pound defensive tackle Cameron Ball will be making his uh, his. His school of choice public. He'll be committing to somebody tomorrow at 1 p.m. and it sounds like it's between Arkansas and Georgia Tech. He's got some. He's got some pretty legitimate offers. I mean, it. It. Uh, I think it's Arizona State, Boston College, Florida State. We already mentioned Georgia Tech. He's got some options on the table, but it sounds like it's between Arkansas and Georgia Tech. Kyle. Yeah, and it. Of course, whenever this podcast drops, he will have made his decision more than likely. I know that we drop it Friday mornings and he's going to make it sometime Friday. But Ty, this is really confusing to me because I know that we are talking and if you look at 247, there's one prediction and they've got him going to Georgia Tech. Uh, now, if you look at rivals, there is also some future cast to Georgia Tech, but also the most recent ones being to Arkansas. So it's going to be between those two. And, I, and the most recent ones all have picked actually one person – picked Georgia Tech, and then switched over to Arkansas from rivals. What's really confusing to me, and I think I talked about this last week with with uh, Eli Henderson, who committed to us from South Carolina, 247's got him as uh, – got Cameron Ball positioned as a defensive tackle, but he's ranked as an offensive tackle. And it looks like LeBlanc, our, defense, our defensive line coach, is the one recruiting him. And in most cases, you're like, okay, well, just because it's that certain position – doesn't necessarily mean that he's being being recruited for that because various coaches have various regions. Now, Georgia is Jimmy Smith's region, the running backs coach. I know this is all a really big mouthful here, but pretty much what I'm getting at is I guess he's being recruited as a defensive lineman, but the film that I'm seeing on the recruiting sites is offensive line. So I guess he's an athlete along the line is what I'm getting at, and they're just not listing him there. But either way, it seems like three-star – Lineman athlete Cameron Ball is going to pick on Friday between Arkansas and Georgia Tech. I know that I just confused everybody, but I'm just <laughs> as confused as I, I. I think I explained that as well as I could for somebody that's just as confused as the rest of us. It is confusing, and, and I've seen it before with other positions. 
Uh, but then typically what, what other websites will do is they'll just say, oh, well, he's an athlete. You know, he's an athlete. For whatever reason, for offensive linemen or guys that play the line of scrimmage, they don't do that. They just – you don't see that they're an athlete unless they play like a skill position or if they're maybe like a linebacker safety hybrid. You'll see that. But when it comes to the line of scrimmage, the guys up front, the big hog mollies, the big the big uglies, as our offensive line coach used to call us, the big fatties, you don't get that kind of respect. You're just either an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. You're not an athlete, apparently, if you're not a skill position guy. But I – you know, you watch this film, it's him playing offensive tackle. So I, I think maybe there's some schools that have offers that do that do have interest in him playing on the defensive line. Maybe that's where that's coming from. I don't know. Um, so the other thing that I found interesting, I don't know that I've seen this before from a three-star. He has 41 total offers. Did you see that on Rivals? Yeah, yeah. Well, and speaking of rivals, and I, I didn't want to say this because I wasn't sure if it was premium content or not, but I don't subscribe to rivals, so it's definitely not premium. Nikki Chavanel from Hogbeat, the who is connected with rivals, as of Tuesday at eight o'clock, she gave him a future cast to Arkansas, and I, I trust Nikki. She you can take her to the bank. So um, it, it's looking like, I mean, unless something happens last second, that Arkansas will be his choice, which could happen. That could absolutely happen. You just never know when you're talking about 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. You just they could change their mind, but I I, I agree. You got to take uh if Nikki says it, then it, odds are it's going to be really accurate. So, I agree with that. But he does he has a ton of offers for being just a three-star. He's a 5.6 overall rated three-star, number 60 uh player. I guess at the offensive tackle position according to Rivals, he's the top 50 player. In the state of uh, in the state of Georgia, if you go in and you pluck him out of out of Georgia from Georgia Tech's hands and these other schools, uh, that's pretty impressive. I don't know how many of these programs, you know, we talk a lot about committable offers. I don't know how many of them are committable, but my God, forty one is that a coincidence? Forty one <laughs> offers. So there's something there with him. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, by the time you listen to this, it'll be. It, you know, it's today, Friday, the the twenty first at one p.m. is when he's supposed to make his decision. I don't know if that's going to be an Instagram live thing or a, or a Twitter video or what he's going to do. But stay glued, or you could follow us on uh, on Facebook, Hog Talk Podcast. I think it's Arkansas Hog Talk on Facebook, and then on Twitter, it's just uh, at Hog Talk. So you can you can find us there. H A W G. All right, uh, moving on to the next to the next uh, thing. I don't know. The, we can make this quick. The shoes, the Nike shoes that they unveiled, and we look. We I think we all agree in the hog talk. Those shoes are pretty damn ugly, Kyle. Those things are gross. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind the shoe. Like, the, pretty much every school has the shoes, like just in their color. So, pretty much, just pick your poison. Whichever shoe I saw, Clemson, Alabama, a bunch of different ones. But that swoosh, man, is just – I mean, I'm a Nike guy. I'm actually wearing Nike tee, Nike shorts. I love their – I wear Nike shoes. Uh, I think that all their stuff is just top-notch comfortable. It's it's like the number one brand or uh, up there for a reason. But uh, I don't like that swoosh that they have on there. I, think, I definitely would not pay 130 bucks for it, just me personally. Uh, $130? And it's like they couldn't even finish the, the Nike swoosh. Like they didn't even finish it. It just, I don't know, it looks lazy. It looks like some, you know, I don't know, some designer there at Nike was like, wait, wait, we still sponsor Arkansas? Like, oh, okay, well, here, let me just 
throw something together really quick. I thought it was hideous, man. And I, I really haven't liked any of the shoes that they put out. They they did one last year, if I remember right. I, it was okay. It was definitely better than this one, if, if my memory serves me correctly. But, um, yeah, the shoes, 130 bucks, no way. $25. That's, boom. I'll give you 25 bucks for them. That's as far as I'll go. <laughs> what what on earth can you buy from Nike that's $25? Maybe one of the... Uh, the little rubber one of the bands. wristbands, yeah, one of the little, little uh, li- not 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 Livestrong anymore since Lance Lance Armstrong. Oh yeah, pretty much not. blackballed from everything. But one of one of those bands, or you maybe maybe you can get a pack of five for twenty five. There you go, or shoestrings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so expensive. Okay, uh, Isaiah Joe Kyle, I I had my reaction on the pig trail on Monday. Um, I'll start off by saying I don't blame him. After reading what he put out, and of course I don't have it in front of me, but after reading what he had put out to the public on on Twitter, basically saying, look, over the last couple of weeks since I decided to come back, since I announced I was coming back to Arkansas, some things have gone sour. Now we don't know what's going to happen in the fall. We've had, you know, during that time you had the Big Ten and the Pac coming out saying that they weren't going to have a season all that apparently rattled around in his head, and he thought, you know what? No, I'm going to take my shot in the NBA. Better now than never. Uh, I don't blame him. It. I just think it, it, it does change a lot of things for me. I don't know. I had them with Isaiah Joe. I said, this is a sweet 16. That's the caliber of team this is with Isaiah Joe coming back. The space and pace is going to be for real with Isaiah Joe back. He stretches the court. He's so dangerous. We know that. When he's healthy, he's so dangerous out in the perimeter. He can shoot from damn near anywhere on the floor. So, of course, that opens up the space and pace. That's going to allow That's going to allow more things to happen underneath. I don't know that you're going to get any of that production back, and I, I get it. We want to talk about these other guys that could take a spot. I, From what we've seen and what little we know about some of the other guys, I, I don't know that they're going to make up that kind of – uh, that that kind of production, Kyle. I I think that this to me, I'm no longer putting them in that Sweet 16 category. I'm now more like, yeah, they're good enough. They have talent to make the tournament, but beyond that, I really don't know because of all the variables with these incoming freshmen. They're great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like disrespect these incoming freshmen, but we've also seen guys that were highly recruited come to Arkansas. Grant, that was under Mike Anderson and and going further back. I get it that this isn't those weren't those guys weren't coached under Muss, but we've seen these high profile guys take more than a year to fully meet their potential. So we don't really know what we're getting out of these incoming freshmen. I don't know. What do you make of all this? Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't put them at a Sweet 16 here as we stand in August like I did before, as you mentioned. Uh, still pretty deep. I, I think that they – I agree with you. They're still a tournament team. And there's going to be some growing pains with the youth. We've seen the videos of Moses Moody making some really good plays and still have some really good perimeter shooting. I made a point on Monday's episode. We had Aaron Torres on from Fox Sports, and I dropped that episode Monday – and uh, I actually texted AT as soon as I got, the, like, what was it, maybe six hours after the news came out that Isaiah is going to go back into the draft, and we had a little talk about it. And um, also, too, one of the points that we had talked, because we, we talked at least for 10 minutes on the podcast Monday, if you haven't listened yet, 
uh, about Isaiah Joe coming back and how far this team can go. And one of the things that we brought up is something that we've discussed previously on the pod, too, about Desi Seals, whether he's a six-man or maybe he's a starter this year. Well, now I think that there's definite arguments that he will probably be in the starting lineup uh, from day one. But as I said, there will be growing pains, and I think as the year goes on, they will continue to grow. There's There's still a lot of different lineups that Musk can go with. Uh, even with Isaiah Joe out of the mix. But I I still think that they're going to be in good position. And I totally understand where Isaiah is on this, as you mentioned, with the pandemic. And as we talked about, we sort of touched on it at the very beginning with our Discord question. You just don't know what could happen. And uh, Kevin McPherson, the AR scoop guy from hogville.com, he had posted, I think it was on Wednesday on Twitter, that in the latest mock draft, out of 70 prospects, so – that's you know 60 prospects go in the draft, and then that's 10 that get unsigned. But out of 70 prospects, Isaiah Joe's 48th, Mason Jones is 57th. So both of them, that is spots getting drafted, and that's according to John Hollinger, NBA columnist for The Athletic and former VP of Basketball Ops for the Grizzlies. So right now, in a lot of drafts that we've seen, we've, and we've seen Isaiah Joe and mock drafts from 18th overall to undrafted. So he didn't get a chance to prove himself past game one of the SEC tournament, which it's kind of funny how coronavirus was the reason why he was coming back, and now it's the reason why he's leaving. It's, it's crazy how that works. But if let's just say that we have a spike in September or October and we don't play the basketball season at all or it starts late, then he might not get a chance to show off his talents even more. Yeah. And so I understand why he's going because if anybody has nailed how to play sports during a pandemic, it's been the NBA. And maybe he doesn't make an NBA team. Maybe he doesn't get drafted. Maybe he goes over – whatever it may happen. But it's very, very likely that now that he is going pro, has made the decision to leave school, that he's probably going to be making money playing basketball one way or another much sooner than later. Yeah, I agree. And there's – you got to respect his decision, and I saw most. It seemed like most fans on social media were pretty respectful. Most you're always going to have a couple of uh, goofballs on, especially on social media, and people, even people that don't hide behind avatars. On you know, they'll, they'll take to Facebook and say some stupid stuff. But most people were pretty respectful. But uh, I, I I get it. It's just uh, man, those two weeks. I think we were all on cloud nine. Like, oh my god, this team, who knows where this team goes, and I'm not trying to say that you should now throw that out the window. No, I'm not saying that. Just that now your odds of going as far as you hope for for this team to go, assuming you have an uninterrupted regular college basketball season, are probably, uh, you know, they they got a little bit more difficult because, you know, I I like Zach Street in our Discord put out his starting five, and I, I think this is actually pretty good pretty good lineup he's got tate seals moody uh vance jackson and connor vanover uh with jd noto uh note and kk as the backcourt backups and then your frontcourt backups being jalen williams justin smith and ethan henderson guys that's deep make no yeah, i like that that is that is so deep and so that's why i said when you have isaiah joe in that mix holy god above you know that's a that's a ranked team now i think you could probably make the argument that ah, you're probably not going to be ranked because of all the unknowns but you're going to be respected this year at least because of this because of the talent the transfers you know I know we've talked about Connor Vanover a lot and we you know we, we hope that Desi Seals and Tate maybe they can make up where uh, 
what the production that we're losing. But then you got Moody. Those videos that they've been posting on on Twitter, the Razorback basketball Twitter, dude, Moody looks like a he just looks like a monster. I mean, his dunks are insane. Like I, Moody could really have that year that that we that we all expected him to have. And then things kind of went quiet because of COVID. Now we're getting back to that hype and that momentum. And we're like, wait a minute, maybe Moody is the man. They keep posting this stuff. And look, not that we lost or had any doubt before, but he's really starting to gain some momentum with those videos. And he just looks so impressive. You're going to have him in the mix. Uh, I'm excited. I'm just as excited about Jalen Tate. I think he's someone that we're not talking a lot about. Uh, Seals, who at times last year, I mean, when the guy caught fire, could put up some points, man. Obviously, KK and and uh, Ethan Henderson. I'm ex- I'm excited to see where he goes this year. There's a lot of variables in the equation that's going to happen this year for 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 college basketball. I'm talking about on the court, not off the court. COVID. Um, the SEC is going to be pretty good. I don't think I don't know if it's going to be any better than what it was last year. Unfortunately, we we didn't get a chance to see how that would all unfold. But it's going to be deep. Uh, you're gonna have. You're still gonna have Tennessee and Kentucky and and good old Will Wade, aka Money Stacks Will Wade with uh, with <laughs> LSU doing their thing down there. So it's it's gonna be a deep league, I think, this year as it, as it has been lately. So Joe definitely, I think, put Arkansas in that in that conversation of teams. You're gonna have to absolutely keep a keep an eye on with him out. We'll just have to wait and see. I still think they're gonna go tournament. I still think they're they're pretty stacked. Um. So yeah, future's still bright. Make no mistake about that. Arkansas basketball future is so bright, and I'm really excited about it. Um. So I think I think that's I think that's it. Kyle, is there anything else we need to we need to add to this bad boy? Or I think we covered it. I got the Discord questions out of the way, and yeah, I think that's that should just about do it. We nailed it. We we nailed that sucker. All right. Well, next up on the next segment. Former Channel 5 sports director here in Northwest Arkansas. He's now the uh, current member of the mascot media, Mr. Bobby Swafford, on the next segment. You guys stick around. Woo Pig Suey, go Hogs. Since 1984, Max's Garage, located at 1010 South Rock Street in Sheridan, Arkansas, has been your one-stop shop for all of your auto repair needs, including tune-ups, oil changes, transmission repairs, and even body work. Stop by or give them a call today at 870-942-4612. Again, that's 870-942-4612. Welcome back to the Hog Talk Podcast. Tonight we are joined by mascot media specialist Bobby Swafford. How are you doing tonight? Good, Porter. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, me, me and Kyle last week we got stuck on this tangent of high school sports, and with you know, with first of all, you know, how, how pleased have you been with uh, Asa and his push really to make you know high school sports happen, especially football happen this fall? Yeah, I like the direction that they're going. They're at least giving them the opportunity to get the season started, and they're going to put it up to them if they can finish it, if they do the right things, if they socially distance, if they take care of the things that they need to to take care of. I'll, like everybody else, I would have liked to have seen them get the green light a little bit sooner. Uh, obviously, it was a tough summer. They didn't get through spring practice. A lot of them, you know, they missed all of drills. There's a lot of coaches who saw their team on the field for the first time a week ago. And so, you know, that's kind of splitting hairs there. But it's, it's nice to see that football's going. And 
Uh, benefit games have already happened this week. Northside took on Bentonville West earlier this week. Uh, the Grizzlies look pretty good. So, I mean, it's it's nice to see that things are going in the right direction and at least we got a chance to get a, a clean start to the season. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the biggest message that I take from it to the kids is that, hey, at least we're going to try it. You know, you know, we tell kids, hey, if you, you don't, you, you think it's too hard, at least give it a shot. And I think them at least – if, if it does go three, four games or halfway into the season, they have to call it quits. At least the kids know they tried instead of, you know, like the Big Ten, just, just up and canceling everything before they even give the ch- kids a chance to uh, start the season. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I like the fact that they're starting on time. They're, they're starting uh, the season. They didn't cut games. They didn't cut non-conference games because there's so many great rivalries that are played in the non-conference I like the approach that they took. They, they kind of took their time. They said, okay, August is here. Practices can, can start. you got to ease into it. I, I like everything that they've done, and now it's on the teams and on the players and on the fans and the communities to make sure that they can get the, not only get the season started but get it in and get the full 14 to 15 weeks in. Yeah, because when this first went down back in March, you know, everybody was scrambling, and then there were so many decisions to make in such a short time. I think they just – it was like, okay, we're gonna, we need to do this. We need, or are we going to do all, all conference only? How are we going to bust? There were so much things. That, and I think the AAA, along with Asa Hutchinson, have really handled the, the overall plan, not just getting the season, but how they're going to do the busing, how they're going to do the referees. Uh, we had uh, a member of the AAA on a few weeks back, and he was explaining all the protocols that the refs have to go through, the fans. So I was really impressed with, you know, all the steps that they're – and they really seem to me like they've done a real thorough job of getting this season started. No, you're exactly right. And they're, they're gonna, you're going to see a, a very di- different atmosphere. You're not going to see as many – you know, say the bands aren't going to be on the field as much, you know, maybe pregame. You're not going to see, you know, players huddled up on the sidelines as much. They're probably going to space them out a lot like college football is talking about doing. You may even see players standing on the, the 10 to 15-yard line on the sidelines just so they can space everybody out. I don't think uh, media is going to be allowed on the sideline at most places, so I think it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be a really different look to the football season, but I don't think once the ball's kicked off and they play the 48 minutes, I don't think you're going to see that big of a difference. Exactly, and, and as long as, you know, the fans, you know, because the biggest problem is with, with the whole masking thing is, I, in my eyes, I think a lot of people, they, they, they bring politics into it, and, you know, it's all about being safe and doing what's right. Like, I work at a job where every – house I go into you wear a mask it has nothing to do with my beliefs or your beliefs it's all about the safety of the the customer and the kids and the fans in the stands so I think that's going to be the biggest thing is just making sure you're doing the right things and not causing any problems so there's not that just that one yahoo in the stands that decides he's going to cause a scene and it's all over social media and now that one person you know causes them to, to cancel a game no, you're exactly right. And, you know, we don't have to talk about, I mean, I'm not getting political about this, but, you know, wearing a mask is not to protect you and it's not to make you feel bad or feel uncomfortable about yourself. It's to protect those people who are at risk. You never know who you're going to come in contact with that's going to go straight to see their grandmother or somebody who may have some underlying issues health-wise. And so, I mean, a little bit of inconvenience, if it, if it can help save people, if it helps make things a little safer and maybe, you know, kill this pandemic once and for all, I mean, I'll wear a mask if I have to. I mean, if I can help, you know, make the world a little better place, you know, five years from now, then I'll certainly do it. Exactly. Cause that's why I, w- I tell people, you know, I'm, I can't sit home, come home and explain to my wife I've lost my job because I didn't want to go into a customer's house or go into a, a place of business 
without my mask on, you know, and that, that's a hard thing to, you know, you're going to let your pride get in the way of your job you're providing for your family. But before we, you know, get into the topic of, you know, we're working on the coaches this week and we're talking about the all time greatest coaches in Arkansas. We were, we were talking last week about the great dynasties and with you covering high school football for so long, you know, which, which dynasties around the state stick out to you the most? I mean, if you're talking recently, I think you have to talk about Pulaski Academy and what they've been able to do. They're going for their sixth state championship in the last seven years. A really impressive run on the, in the middle classifications, if you're talking, you know, 4 or 5A, uh, that level. What Rick Jones and Greenwood were able to do for 18 years was unbelievable. A lot of times you'll see a team kind of come up and then they'll fall back down. But little, very few times did you ever see Rick Jones not playing Thanksgiving weekends, which is the semifinals for the big schools. And your eight state championships, three more appearances in the championship game. I mean, really impressive what he and the Bulldogs were able to do. Uh, Daryl Patton, when he was at Fayetteville, I think deserves to mention. Uh, he had some great battles, got blown out a time or two in the regular season by Bentonville, but always seemed to be able to bounce back in the postseason. A lot of that has to do with great coaching. He had great quarterback play. Austin Allen, Brandon Allen, some really good players that come through Fayetteville. I mean, so those are the ones that in recent history that, that's come to mind. And if you want to Take it a step farther, maybe the smaller schools, what Charleston's been able to do through the years. It started with Doug Lockridge, uh, then finished with Greg Kendrick when Ty Story won a pair of state championships. I mean, so there's a lot of really, really good football programs, uh, you know, in, in recent history. I mean, it's, it's been really cool to see some of these programs, you know, become a mainstay, not only deep in the playoffs, but at War Memorial for a state title. Definitely. And, and me, I, I'm born and raised Ozark. I'm a hillbilly. So it, it's hard for me to say that, you know, I've got two rivals that have really good programs in Boonville and Charleston and, you know, and what Rippy did there at Boonville and the state titles and how they, and if anybody's familiar with Boonville, it, you know, you see that town, Boonville, Charleston and Greenwood to me, it's like they're in the same, uh, what am I trying to say? Like with the fans, like it's a football town no matter what. I mean, in the small schools like Boonville and Greenwood and, and Charleston, it's like you even go to the peewee games and you think you're at a high school atmosphere. And I think that has a lot to do with the success. And also I was talking to someone from Greenwood and like they even have the kids, their, their th third grade teams, they have the high school playbook. And that just goes to the development from third grade on up. So when they're in 10th grade, they know the playbook like at, at the back of their hand. Yeah, the expectation level is well known at those three schools you're talking about by the time you start playing football. Whether you're 8, 9, 10 years old, however the case may be, when you first put on the pads, they know that they're expected to win when you play at Boonville or at Charleston or at Greenwood or at even, even Ozark, who's been very good in the semifinals last year with Coach Jeremy Burns. I mean, those towns have built programs. You know, they're, they're, there's a difference between a, a football town and a football program. And those teams have programs that are – really second to none as far as a consistency basis. You know, Boonville winning, you know, state championships in multiple decades, Greenwood doing the same thing. And obviously we talked about how good Charleston's been. They have the longest active playoff streak. Uh, last year was the first time they had a losing season since 1985 and still made the playoffs. And so it just, those, those three, and there's a whole lot more we could talk about, are, are really set the standard for, for high school football in the western part of the state. Yeah, and I think a lot of those school programs, you know, say like a Ozark, not to be biased, but, you know, 
you think of dynasty and programs, you automatically want to go to state titles. And Ozarks never won a, a state title. They've been to the mm-hmm. state finals two times back in 92 when we had to play that juggernaut in Pine Bluff Dollar Way. I mean, it was just uh, – we were talking about on the podcast just how oversized that game was. When I remember I lived in Little Rock at the time, and it looked like a, a peewee team going up against the Razorbacks, just how big – Pine Bluff Dollarway was their front line was all over 300 pounds and we had one guy that was over like 302 I mean it, it just looked you could tell it was a totally different ball game yeah and then they even make the finals in 2012 uh my first yes. year, uh covering high school football at, at channel five you know but but they get to the finals and but their quarterback broke his hand in the semifinals and so they're, they're facing a Stuttgart team essentially with one hand tied behind their back and we're in the contest really till late in the third quarter. So, I mean, and they get to the semifinals last year, lose to the eventual state champion, Robinson. I think Ozark's a top-five team again this year. I mean, so, I mean, that's, that's a team that, like you mentioned, hasn't won a state title, but they're, they're knocking on the door. And sooner rather than later, I promise you, they're going to win one. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, because, you know, we, we have that motto, hillbilly pride runs deep, and there's a lot of people who live by that. You know, now that's, we can correlate that into coaches. You know, we're talking about the greatest coaches of all time in in Arkansas high school history, and you want to go to the, the uh, state titles. But there's a lot of coaches that have never won – a state title and I if I'm not mistaken Don Campbell out of win the the general is the first one that comes to my mind I don't think he's ever won a state title but man he's always been there at the top and he's got a lot of wins underneath his belt no you're exactly right I mean you're talking guys who have you know set the standard if you want to talk about the Mount Rushmore of of Arkansas coaching I mean he's he's right there forefront I mean he's the George Washington of it I mean a, a guy who's won you know hundreds of football games but molded thousands of young young lives essentially and, and you know state championships are, are just tough to be the measuring stick of course with pro, when you're talking pro sports or even college sports I mean that that's how you measure coaches is winning championships in high school it's different you got to have the dudes out there and a lot of times the great coaches don't have dudes but I mean you got to put him there I mean what Kevin Kelly's done in a short time in his coaching career is is you know second to none at Pulaski Academy I, I mean, we talked about Rick Jones eight state championships you know, 280 career wins, I believe it was. I mean, so you can, you could really just pull up the, the career win list and it'd be a little overshadowed. But there's a lot of names that you may not necessarily think of as far as great coaches. Mike Adams, who's now at Farmington, you know, was at Fayetteville for a time, at Charleston for a time. He's got over 200 career wins. Prairie, uh, Danny Absher at Prairie Grove's got 199 career wins right now. Tom Harrell's been at Mountainburg for 30 years. I mean, so there's a lot of really good coaches that haven't won state titles that, that I kind of just rambled off there. But – Got a lot of wins to show for it and, and obviously really good coaches. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you could put Tommy Tice out of Harrison. I mean, he right. had a little stint there at Huntsville, but, you know, he was another one that just just coached for a long time and was a really good coach, you know, and Malhan at Cabot. You know, all these coaches that we put on the Rushmore, you know, and we can't forget about the one that's at the top, you know, Frank McClellan out of Barton. I mean, all those years, all those state titles, the winning streak, the 111-game winning streak conference you know, to go ten, over 10 years without losing a conference game in a small town like Barton. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but, man, it's just – it's like driving through Mulberry. <laughs> you yeah. go by a football field. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I mean, he's, he's right there at the top. And I, if you want to, you know, pick one coach from the largest classification at the top, I think you got to go Barry Lunny. I mean, wins four yes. state championships at Fort Smith Southside, then goes to Bentonville and wins four more. 
and turned Bentonville into a juggernaut in Arkansas high school football. I mean, this is a program that was just destroying people. And, you know, you talk about how good Bryant is right now and North Little Rock are right now. Imagine if Bentonville still only had one high school. I mean, Bentonville West has oh, yeah. only lost two conference games the last couple of years, and they're both been to Bentonville. I mean, it's just imagine if all those kids were still in the same high school like they used to be. I mean, so it's, it's impressive what he was able to do at, at two different stops. Uh, so Barry Lunny, as far as the large schools, is has got to be at the top. Well, and that could go for all those the big schools in Northwest Arkansas. Look, look at Springdale, what they could have accomplished if they didn't have to split up. You know, wow. Rogers, I mean, they with Ronnie Peacock, they were starting up and coming, and then they have to split off into two. I mean, I remember I was at the last Bentonville-Rogers game, and, I mean, you couldn't fit another person inside that stadium. And, and that's going to be another topic for another – we're going to talk about the rivalries and – I think that's going to be an interesting topic when you talk about those all-time rivalries. And now that the schools that like Springdale, Fayetteville, Rogers, Bentonville, these these schools that because they got split up, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of hurts it, it. It takes away from the luster of those those games. But you know, we mentioned Don Campbell out of Win, but another one, Gerald Williams out of Springdale, was another great coach that had a really good run at Springdale. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, and really, I mean, sticking that same town, Gus Malzahn was a pretty good football coach himself. I mean, he's still going yes. and everybody yep. kind of associates him with college game now, but what he was able to do at Shiloh Christian was outstanding and then took it to another level at Springdale with the Springdale Five and, and that team that just shattered every state scoring record and passing record and, and all those guys going to play Division One football. So, I mean, we really could just name 30 or 40 coaches who have – who have, you know, I'm not going to use the term change the game because it's a little too cliche, but coaches who really came in and, and made others beat them instead of them going out and beating you. Yeah, that old school. I mean, one, two that come to my mind, Rippy out of Boonville and Vines out of Alma. I mean, yeah. just those old school hard-nosed coaches. And Vines is another one that just, I mean, he – and we could just go off of – I mean, if we talk an hour just for the coaches in the River Valley in northwest Arkansas, we ain't even touch, really touched eastern Arkansas, south Arkansas. Like, you know, we're talking about um, the all-time dynasties. You know, we're looking up teams that have eight, nine state titles like Blyville and McGee that we didn't even realize until we started doing research. And, you know, all these – you know, like Kevin Kelly, he, of course, he gets the hype now – and Rick Jones out of Greenwood, but there's so many coaches that you could just look at and like, so who were the up and coming coaches? Who are the, you know, take Kevin Kelly cause he's really established his name, but who are some coaches that you could see really stamping a legacy of, of some of these all time greats? You know, I think if he stays put and Fayetteville continues to be a one high school town, I think Casey Dixon in a position that to be successful for a really long time. You know, last year wasn't up to Fayetteville standard. They went six and six, but I mean, they still played two playoff games. Uh, so it's, you know, he's in a position to, to be successful. He's young enough. He's got a chance to, to be good for a really long time as far as on the Western part of the state. I, I, th- I think um, J.R. Eldridge, uh, who's obviously already supplanted a, a really good spot, what he would be able to do at Arkadelphia, and he's at a gold mine right now at North Little Rock. So those are the two that just immediately come to mind who've got a chance to, to really take off and, and put together really, really impressive, and I'll use the term Hall of Fame-type resumes. Yeah, and for so long, you know, you know, Northwest Arkansas, you know, the 7A West and, and then the 6A West with Greenwood and, you know, Bentonville, but – you know, Central Arkansas starting to come back up. Central and, and Southeast Arkansas with Arkadelphia winning the back-to-back. And now with Joe T. Robinson, mm-hmm. I mean, they're primed for another state title run. I mean, that 
the, the Central Arkansas football is, is starting to pick back up. Oh, and, and Robinson's the one that I probably should have said right off the start. You're talking about Todd Escola, a guy who's just built a powerhouse of a 4A football program. And, obviously, and you can say what you want about the, you know, how Little Rock and, and, you know, gets their players and they split up their districts, whatever the case, that's not really for this discussion. All you can say is the guy puts out players, he puts out teams and, play, and they go out there and just dominate on Friday nights. I mean, they manhandled Shiloh Christian, a very, very good Shiloh Christian team in the state championship game last year. I mean, Shiloh came, comes out and scores five plays, goes 80 yards in the opening drive of the game, and it was a blowout after that point. And so you got to give the Senators and their staff a lot of credit because, you know, Todd Escola, he's got the players, but he's putting them in the right spot to succeed. Well, next week we're going to get to see that with, with that matchup between Robinson and PA. That, that's going to be one that I'd drive two hours to go see. Oh, absolutely. And I think what we saw, some people got to see it last night, Bryant versus Pulaski Academy in a scrimmage is a game you want to see as well. I mean, you know, yeah, that thing was knotted up at 21 21. And, yeah. and I think, I don't know what, ha- I stopped kind of following it, but I mean, Bryant seemed to just pull away. And I don't know if, you know, Kelly pulled his players to kind of move on to the next, you know, get prepared for Robinson, but they were hanging with them till the third quarter. Yeah. No, I mean, it, usually what happens when, you know, the schools from the, the 5A or the 4A start to play up in the second half, of the lines usually start to take over. It's just the depth and the overall size and strength up front. That's the biggest difference uh, when, you, when you're talking 7A and 6A football and you start talking 5A and below, I mean, the, the fronts. I mean, Bentonville is so much better than 95% of the schools based on their line play. You know, they're, they're not blowing you out of the water because of their, their receivers or their quarterback play most times. Obviously, they've had some really good ones. But schools like that, schools like North Little Rock, they've got some bona fide studs up front offensively and defensively. And that's the biggest difference to me between 7A, 6A football and everybody else. So when it comes to coaching, we're, we're talking about new head coaches and how hard do you think it is for a coach like Chris Young to take over such a legendary program in, in Greenwood and kind of try to fill those shoes that Jones left behind? It's tough. I mean, it's really tough because the expectation at Greenwood is to go 13-0 and and win a state championship. And they're, they're, this, you're talking about a school that's playing north side and south side in the non-conference. I mean, playing a really, really tough schedule, and I believe they're playing Choctaw Oklahoma, which runs the same system that Kevin Kelly does. They don't punt. They go for it on fourth down. They onside kick it every time. So, I mean, a loaded non-conference schedule. And say he loses one of those games, you're going to get people talking. like, oh, well, he's not Rick Jones. Jones. He's not going to be the guy for this job. I mean, so he's almost set up to fail, but he won't. So I've I've known Chris Young for 20 years, and he is a perfectionist. He ran that offense. He, He called every offensive play for Greenwood for the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, he was the bell cow of that offense. You know, Rick Jones got a lot of credit, but Chris Young, Chris Young should get a lot of the credit as well for the, the success that Greenwood has had. Yeah, that's a, right. You know, being a coordinator underneath, at least you know what to expect. You know, you've basically had a mentor in Rick Jones, so it should be a good – but I, I know a lot of Greenwood people, and, yeah, I know exactly the expectations. I mean, they want to go undefeated from third grade all the way up to – 12th grade every year so but before we get off here you know tell us tell us more about what you're doing now with mascot media and and then kind of give us some highlights of your your time at five news yeah so i I joined mascot media earlier this week Um, so for those who don't know what they do uh, they provide streaming services apps websites tickets posters to schools all across the country for free 
Uh, and so they work with people in your community to, to, to be able to, to share your, your kids and your product out there. And it's even more important now, obviously, because limited attendance, uh, people don't maybe not necessarily want to travel to go to road games. And so and we give the, the, these schools that may not necessarily have the means to, to go, you know, create a custom website or a custom app or have a live stream. We give it to them for free. And so and that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm still going to be doing some podcasts and some content creation, talking to coaches, uh, I'm actually in talks about being a play-by-play guy uh, coming up on Friday nights. So I've got a chance to finalize that later this week, so I'm hopefully I'll make an announcement about that. So you know, that's kind of the Cliff Notes version. I'm going to be wearing a lot of hats uh, until I get situated, but I'm really excited about a company that's committed to, to making schools across the country be even more important to their community. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, being from the River Valley, you know, I've watched Friday night flights for years back when they had the helicopters coming to the games and we really appreciate, you know, what you've done for the sports community. I know there's a lot of parents and coaches and, and just all the people, the fans that are, were really sad to, you know, hear about your departure and, you know, that I I was happy to see that the send off that everybody give you. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, the people have been, have been outstanding to me. I mean, I spent eight years at the times record, the, the newspaper there in Fort Smith, and then another eight years at Channel 5 on 5 News. And what we were able to do on that, on that TV show on Football Friday Night, I mean, we covered 1,300 high school football games in eight years. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to find a news outlet that can say that outside of, you know, ones who are statewide. I mean, obviously, you've got the big things down in Texas. But, I mean, what we were able to do, we built a brand. We, we built relationships with players and coaches and, and communities and became the kind of the home for high school football. And it was a great run. I mean, I'll say it. I mean, I loved every second of, of my time there at five news, but apparently it was time to, to go our separate ways. And, you know, luckily I was able to land on my feet with a, a great company like mascot media. So kind of behind the scenes and, and what you're talking about all the high school teams that you cover. I mean, a lot of new sports stations, they cover like Northwest Arkansas, central Arkansas, but you know, how hard was it to put together a Friday night flights and cover all the river Valley, Fort Smith, Northwest Arkansas and Oklahoma schools yeah. for all that time. Yeah, you know, if you know, if you know the community and you know the teams and you know what the games are supposed to be at, it wasn't hard at all. I mean, honestly, the easiest part to me was to find the 10 to 14 games that we were going to cover on a Friday night. I mean, because you're going to find stations who all they care about are the big schools. Like, okay, who's Bentonville playing, who's Fayetteville playing, and who's Greenwood playing? And that's it. That's all that we cover. Uh, we didn't do that. I mean, we didn't lead with Fayetteville every Friday night. You know, if, if, if it was Boonville Ozark and that was our game of the week, we were covering it. And that was going to be the first game you saw at 10-15. Or if it was Pea Ridge Prairie Grove. I mean, it, it really didn't matter to us. It's like, to me, the biggest game, the best game, is what should have been your first game. It shouldn't matter how many people live in your city limits. And, that, and that's how I treated it. I mean, those kids at smaller schools deserve the coverage as much as the guys at the big schools. I mean, and honestly, those small towns paid my bills a whole lot more than the big schools did uh, because those were our viewers. Those were our sponsors, people who, who passionately lived in those towns, grew up in those towns, played football in those towns, and, and it really showed the support to us for the last eight years. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. And you mentioned the send-off that I got on social media. I mean, it, it was overwhelming, the, the number of nice, you know, texts or phone calls or Facebook messages or, or tweets at me that I got from people across the area. It was, it was, it was really – a a special week for me that, that those last seven days. And I'm going to remember that for a long time. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, us here at the Hog Talk, we, we actually, you know, appreciate everything. Me being the only River Valley guy here, a lot of, you know, we're spread out all over Northwest Arkansas and Central Arkansas. We really appreciate that. But before we let you go, I got to put you on the hot seat. Yeah. Top three top moments that you've had a part in in high school football. Oh, man. Top three moments. I'm being easy on you. I'm giving you top yeah. three because the other people, they only get one. Yeah, the, the number one was the Bentonville-Fayetteville State Championship game when Fayetteville scored with, I think it was two or three seconds left and went for two on the quarterback throwback to Austin Allen to win the game. That, that's number one. You're talking about the, the guts to go for two to win a state championship against your biggest rival. So that's going to be number one to me. Uh, number two would have been uh, – man, this is tough. Uh, uh, Northside, Southside. When Northside finally broke the streak, you know, Southside had beaten them 13 times in a row. And just the emotion that you saw on the Northside sideline with the players and the coaches and the fans, that was really cool to see. Just, and, and, and that's why you do it. And then I got the, the last one, let's, let's go Charleston Smackover State Championship game. Ty Story caps his career with a 29-game winning streak, I believe it was and led the game-winning drive, and his defense, you know, makes a stand for him in the last minute. Jordan Jones was on that smackover team. So I'll give a shout-out to Charleston and what they were able to do with Greg Kendrick as that coach and, and capping a back-to-back title seasons. Well, Bobby, I appreciate you for your time tonight. Man, it was a pleasure to talk sport, high school sports with you. Be sure to tune in because we're going to have some awesome high school coverage, you know, going over some – tonight we cover the coaches, and, and next week we're going to go over the, the rivalries. What, what really – we're talking about those small schools, you know, the, the small school rivalries like the, the Ozark-Boonville, the Ozark-Charleston games, the, you know, Hackett and Hartford before they had to, you know, consolidate. So – it's going to be a really interesting time in the weeks to come. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Prairie Grove, uh, Farmington right there at the top, Boom, uh, uh, Van Buren, Alma. I mean, you can go list down and down. To me, it doesn't get any better than Northside, Southside. You know, I'm an old school guy. My, I didn't grow up in Fort Smith. My dad did. My dad played for the, for the Rebels back in the day. But I got, to, I got to watch that rivalry up close and personal for 15 years and, and didn't have a rooting interest in it. That's, that's one of the coolest rivalries you're going to see. Does it make it better that way that you can kind of just sit back and enjoy the rivalry? Because me and my dad, he he would take me to – we would go to one game a week before I started playing football at Ozark, and uh, we would go to the Alma-Greenwood game. And I remember Brooks Coatney's sophomore year. That was the first big game that I really went to. And as a sophomore, he was breaking state records. And yeah. that Alma-Greenwood game, it was – to me, it's, that's what got me into football. Like, I really wanted to start playing and watching it just to – the rivalry. And I think I had to step out of state. I, I went, I had the pleasure to go to a Jinx union game yeah. and I'm telling you there, there is nothing, no, nothing against Arkansas football, but man, watching 45,000, I guess the salt bowl is comparable, you know, yeah. but I've never been to that game, but just for that many fans to be at a game where they have to move it to a college field and they actually outsell the college that plays in that town. It, it's truly amazing. Yeah. You're talking about, a, they sell out a college football stadium. Like you can't get tickets to Jinx union to this day when they play at Skelly stadium, you know, don't get me wrong. Benton Bryant's amazing what they do. 30, 35,000 people in war Memorial stadium, but you're talking almost 50,000 show up for, for a Jinx union game. And I'm partial. I'm small school, Oklahoma guy. A lot of people aren't going to know this, but the Roland Mulder robbery is, is second to none as well. 
I mean, you're talking about yes, a lot of people in in River Valley. You know, we that's the thing. That's what I loved about the five news. We got to see you know Poto, and we got to see the role in Muldrow, and and being as close as those two schools were. You know, you always got to we always got to see those rolling highlights. Yeah, uh, you know, some, some of that has a little bit to do with me. You know, when you're making the decisions, yeah. when you're you're on the money <laughs> stand there. But they also put out two pretty good big time athletes. You got Austin Cantrell played for the Hogs. Mandy Bunch played for Tulsa. Started for them for three years in their secondary. I mean, there's some big time athletes in, uh, in Sequoia and Lafleur County uh, that may not get the pub that they necessarily deserve. Well, guys, that's going to do it for us for episode 115. Again, Bobby, thank you again for coming on and. We're going to end it on that. Be sure to listen next week to the Hog Talk Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.